We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 457 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and apologies on not making my Fed headlines after that 0-0 draw with Adafi last night, but I did get home late from work, where it would have been the early a.m. until you saw it in front of you, and I also didn't feel like there'd be enough to say after that match against Adafi to both do five headlines and then have enough to talk about here on the pod. So fortunately, the good news is I have no worries that we'll have enough to talk about for the whatever 35 to 55 minutes, Kevin. Because returning to the show again is Kevin Williams. So I know you were tired in Portugal. I'm assuming it's not so bad other than having to watch Barca Adape 0-0, which I mean, I think we're going to get into it, but it might have been, I wouldn't say the worst game of the season, but I think it was the hardest. I don't know. I had worked 10 hours. I'm giving you time to, to giggle it over, but I had worked like 10, 12 hours and I watched, came home and I felt punished. It was a punishment to watch that game because it wasn't even bad. It wasn't even like they got ripped apart by Real Madrid. It was like, wow, this game just won't end. I know it's going to end 0-0 because like somebody had spoiled it. So I was like, how do I have to get to 0-0? I have to finish this game. And I'm taking notes and I'm like, I don't care about any of this. It was tough. It was tough. I, I always care, Kevin, but I did not care yesterday. Well, you know who I feel the worst for those three dudes who have climbed the tree to watch the match? Yeah. These three guys are in a tree. They're like, this is terrible. Well, they're still up there waiting for a goal. They are. They're sitting like, there's something's coming. We climb the tree with our beer. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we get. Yeah. I mean, your five headlines would be it sucked, this sucked, this really sucked, my lord, this sucked, and ooh, right? Yeah. Five headlines right there. I mean, look, I nobody takes pleasure in being right when they say bad things are going to happen. But I mean, many people, you and I included, said, I'm not so sure about this shabby thing. You know, you don't want to be the one to say, I told you so, but everything that has been predicted is coming to pass. He's in over his head. He doesn't know what to do with his roster, with European football. Well, past tense. Uh, he lucked into Liga by having a desultory Madrid around for a while and suddenly wake up and hey don't forget Barcelona could still lose the I mean it's just not outside the realm that they could 
choke it up and give up this lead. So I feel like I can't think of a worse team that will possibly win Liga in, you know, going back to I, like, you know, my memories of La Liga starting like the late 90s, right? I can't think of a, a worse team that will maybe win uh, the whole thing. And I thought that the Atafe match pointed out exactly every last thing wrong with Xavi's team. I mean, no one knows what to do with the ball. There's nowhere to put the ball when someone gets it. And people snark about, oh, the only player who can shape a pass is Gavi, but shape a pass to where? No one knows where they want to be. Lewandowski's out for hot dogs somewhere. I mean, Rafinha is trying to be half price Dembele. It's like nobody knows what they wanted to do or how to do it. And so nothing happens. And, you know, you had one opponent with nothing to play for who held them to a draw. Then you had Petafe, who is down your relegation. And the only reason I would like for them not to be relegated is because that means Espanol will be, which would be better. Ideally, they would both leave, but that's not likely. So, I mean, and mind you, the misses by Rafinha and Balde were both criminal, but typical of this team. It's just a mess. And someone said to me, oh, you never have anything good to say about this team. And I said, because there is nothing good to say about this team. I mean, if, if there was something good to say, I mean, I would say it. But I mean, and look, they're bringing Messi back next year to play in Espanol's old stadium, right? Which, you know, probably still reeks of parakeet crap. It's like there's nothing, there's nothing good. But there's no money. There's this almost 8 million over 19 years for what exactly? I mean, it's like there's nothing good about the club right now or the team. I mean, the only seven is awesome. But, you know, guys like, oh, you know. I mean, football, derf, derf, derf. I mean, Tavania is the only good thing about FC Barcelona right now. And handball. And, and handball. And the Balancesto did beat Real Madrid yesterday. So there's stuff going on. But okay. So we are going to end with the Laporta on today's show, the Laporta press conference from today. So for those just for a program. Coolers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Storm the ramparts. Right. But all right. Actually, you actually, so you hit a lot of, a lot of points that I want to just add even more context to. Because I think the Xavi one is the biggest one. So I'm going to do that one last. First and foremost, I think one of the reasons why Adafi was so rough was to the point that you made about the Girona match before and El Clasico before that. Because this is the first time that the team was held scoreless in three straight games for the first time since April of 2008. So it did. It, it's been a long time since it was three straight matches without a goal to talk about. Because again, with my five headlines, at least one of those headlines is always one of the goals, right? And if they score three goals, then I get two headlines through three goals. And it, it works out. But what you also said, too, about the league is interesting because don't look now, but it's not even Real Madrid in the rear view mirror. It's also Atletico Madrid because Atleti are just two points behind Real Madrid and Atleti have not lost in the league since January 8th, which was the one nothing loss to Barcelona. So they did lose Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey in that time, but who hasn't lost Real Madrid in the Copa del Rey, not Barcelona. Okay, when I say good news, I have some good news. Okay, it's not just it's not all bad. So yeah, yeah. Um, if there there are nice things to say, which is the return of Frankie the Young and Pedri against Atletico Madrid, 
for a team that, as you said, I think psychologically, they're in the doldrums right now. They're, I mean, limping to the finish line is an absolute understatement. Where by say limping would mean that they're going to get there. I think against Hadafe, they showed you that Real Madrid does, and Atletico Madrid have pathways to win the Liga still with 10 games remaining and 11 points behind and what is 13 for Atletico Madrid. Like there is a path for them forward and, Real, and Barcelona can limp to the finish line. However, with Pedri and Frankie de Jong, this team has been, has been different than they were the last few weeks. They, yes. as you mentioned too, with Demelay, Christensen, Frankie de Jong, and Pedri, I sound like a broken record because they have not come back yet. But at least with even Pedri back, because from yesterday's game, there are different games. I, I don't know how much you've been following the different things I've said, but there are different games where I go, okay, Dembele was the biggest miss in that game. Or the, I believe it was, I mean, I could say actually Real Madrid, the El Clasico, it felt like Christensen was the biggest miss in that game, where I can point to certain moments, certain games will go with Christensen in for Alonso in that game. I think that first half goal doesn't happen and it's 0-0 zero sure. zero at halftime. And now you're talking about a different halftime speech, a whole different setup starting the second half. And you have Christensen instead of Alonso. And then and there are other games. Right. And there are other games where Rafinha has put up absolute stinkers where I go, if Dembele is in place of Rafinha in that game, just as a one-for-one swap, it's a different result. And yesterday, it it was odd yesterday because Busquets, Kessie, and Gabi, I think the trio yesterday, Gabi in the early yellow was kind of not helpful for him, but... Those three, I didn't think did anything particularly wrong, but Pedri's influence was lacking in that what they did wrong with it is what they did not do. As in the passing chart, like the passing metrics between Pedro, between uh, Gabi and Kessie were non-existent. Like there was no strength. It was no, like it didn't exist, right? There was no chemistry, no cohesion whatsoever. Barcelona were working, I mean, I guess vertically, but even horizontally, it like they were not finding success in the middle parts of the field, which against against a, a, a low block like that, against five at the block and five at the back. And, you know, we're, we'll, we'll talk about, again, Xavi's my last point to this. So I'm, I'm getting there in a second. But in, just in terms of that game, again, like, was the midfield bad? No, they were non-existent. They were, they didn't, they, they were not there. And so for De Jong and Pedri to come back for Atletico Madrid, they could not come back at a more important time. Because even if Barcelona draws Atletico Madrid, 0-0-1-1, that goes a long way to winning the title. And this team can also look very different with those two in tow. So my positive or silver lining is that there is this world, <laughs> Kevin, where we have seen the worst of Barcelona this season with the return of at least those two. I mean, Pedri, even more so than De Jong, just because of yes. he, I mean, again, I keep saying it, that we've seen with Lewandowski and even Ter Stegen in that back line, I do cumble them all together. And I, I, I know that you on, on Twitter, I know this, you and I disagree about this a little bit, where the XG says the Barcelona should be giving up a lot more goals. Like 15 to 16 goals in the league is a lot, is, is much more fair. But as faulty as it's been, the fact that Christensen has barely put a foot wrong for an entire season, the fact that Araujo has been who he is, the fact that Ter Stegen for at least five months was, was excellent in net, making the save that he's supposed to make. And then Balde did take enough of steps forward defensively where you didn't worry too much about your left side. And then Kunde also had until the world cup, a good first half of the season defensively, at least. And that is what has created Barcelona's because even, even yesterday, I mean, can you criticize the fact that Barcelona? Well, that's what I mean. Like, can you criticize the fact that as bad as they were, Hadafe had the two chances and they got lucky. Two excellent chances. And look, whenever a Barcelona opponent can finish, they lose. It's yeah. simple. Yeah. I mean, they have been incredibly lucky with opponent finishing this year. I mean, they're ex, they're ex, you know, they're XG against. I, I don't, I 
think all those XGs and, you know, mm -hmm. YGs and FQs, that's all, right? But, I mean, statistically, they give up great chances. And I don't know how, what kind of weird force field thing Turk Sagan has with that hair club off men thing he has going on, but it's working, right? Because, I mean, opponents are shooting at the, the goal and you think that's going in and it goes wide and you're like, what just happened but kevin you watch, you see you watch right into my trap because with to to the point about la liga this is the worst barcelona team to win or the worst team in the liga to win the title in a while that courtois benzema real madrid team that won the liga in recent seasons this is exact same thing it was the exact same thing teams were so lucky or unlucky against real madrid that season courtois completely bailed them out Benzema scored some early goals to help Real Madrid create distance in the table. This is a like for like. So if you want to criticize Barcelona in this juncture, it was that Barcelona that year were bad and Real Madrid had a goalkeeper and a striker. And this season, Barcelona have had a goalkeeper and a striker in the Liga and they're going to win the league by potential, potentially double digits because the other rivals to them started out the first six months absolutely garbage. And it's, it's like the same story. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But Barcelona is worse because at least and I hate Real Madrid. One. <laughs> Thanks for setting the table. Yep. <laughs> they they know what they're doing, right? I mean, they know the whole swashbuckling thing. I will challenge challenge even the most devoted Barcelona fan to pick one match and say that team looked like it knew what it was doing. Right? I mean, you could say the first half of uh, the Copa lost to Real Madrid. That was a good half of football. They looked like they sort of had a clue, but then so rare. I mean, yeah. it's like shot. I mean, how do you st still have Rafinha trying to beat people? Well, if you, if you put my grandmother's urn on the pitch and said to Rafinha, beat that to score a goal, he'd be like, oh, derf, right? He'd lose the ball. It's just like, I mean, 
don't understand what Xavi wants to do with his team. And I don't think the team does either. And if you look at the tantrum number three that Rafinha had after being subbed off, I suspect some of it is because the players are frustrated as well. I mean, no one knows, you know, the players know when they're not playing good football. And, you know, say what you want about um, uh, Luis Enrique, you know, say what you want about St. Guardiola, but they had structures that buoyed the team. So, you know, those stretches when Messi would get hurt, the team kept going because they had a system in place. They had a way of uh, playing. Xavi's team is just like, hey, let's just go out there and kick the ball around and let's see what happens, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, then let's start hitting in crosses and an inshallah, right? And it's just, it's awful to watch. And it's, you know, and all the people who say, oh, you know, Xavi will come and it'll be pure football and they'll start playing like Barcelona again. Yeah. What does that even mean? Because, I mean, playing like Barcelona is like holding up a museum piece as a modern ideal. That time is gone. That team is gone. You know, Busquets is a thousand-year-old Hylon, right? I mean, they want to bring a 35-year-old Messi back for what? I mean, you know, the biggest thing I think we've seen in the absence of Pedri is how far Gavi has yet to go to develop into a proper midfielder. Right? And I know people love him. I mean, I mean, he's got bottle for days. He has fight. He has fire. But he's not yet a truly good midfielder. And we've seen that in these uh, recent matches with matches without Pedri. So it's all a mess right now. And I mean, I just think it, you know, this team is is dire. They're And they're Shaping up to be dire next season as well. Well, you know, I think of what's missing from Barcelona. What what does Xavi bring back, right? What, what was that big question? And when I did those tactical breakdowns of what Xavi's ideas were, what he tried to and hoped to instill with Barcelona, again, was something that I think he has actually rather done successfully. And that is, as I had spoken about before, as far as the pressing actions per game, Barcelona's press. I, this, and this is, again, like a caveat of how much blame we want to give to Xavi and how much blame we want to give to the financial situation and the personnel construction that has been created from, I mean, just years of mismanagement with, with a squad that like you and I have always agreed on those kind of things. But uh, for what Xavi wanted to do was to bring back a press. And with the, the seven times, I believe it's six or seven times that he has had his gala 11, like the 11 guys that he wants to start games for FC Barcelona, he has had them six or seven times this season. And Barcelona, A, have won every one of those games. And B, I think the press looks excellent in every single one of those games. But because he is not, and, and this is to your point, is about your point. should the whole squad that you have, so, it, so if you pluck one of those guys out of the Gala 11 and your press completely falls apart, that says that you're not instituting the right system. So that's like part of the blame that you put on Xavi, where you say, how can, I mean, e- even if you swapped out just Balde for Alba, there are games like that where you're like, well, now the press is, now there's room in behind the left back, and now yeah. there's something something wrong has gone with the press, right? And it seems like without the Gala 11, that press is not working. So it's, it's, it's frustrating because Xavi has the right ideas, but my questions for Xavi for next year come into play, even with, uh, to talk more specifically about Adafe, that left side, and, and for what next season might be. Where the decision to put Alba as the left back and Bali as the left winger 
was a question mark, I think, from the start of the game. I mean, it's a fair argument for ball for I mean, and you've been critical of the wingers and everyone's been critical of the wingers that I had a whole show about them with Domagoy on Thursday that you throw your hands up and Xavi probably did the same thing. It was like, well, if if Ansu's pretty much already out the door and I'll Should be. plug the conspiracy theory I had last week that the medical reports that Barcelona and Ansu's camp have are worse than we think they are. You see it in the NBA all the time where a guy gets traded and you're like, wait a second, he only played like two more seasons in the NBA or whatever it was. And you're like, well, maybe that medical report when he got traded was worse than it was. But anyway, so that's Ansu and then there's Ferran Torres. So then I think Xavi just kind of threw his hands up and said, all right, we'll start our best winger at that left wing. And that is Alejandro Balde this season. But the issue was that A, Balde was struggling with the offside trap. And B, is that Alba wanted to push forward into that space to, to, to get himself into where he wants to, to hit those diagonal balls. That it was overlapping too much with Balde. And so Balde was completely redundant on that left side. And it had to be reversed. Because the minute Alba comes out of the game, Barcelona at least looked like they had a bit more, a bit more work vertically because it wasn't just Alba it was Balde who was overlapping instead yeah and so and that was an issue that for Xavi he should have changed at halftime even and you do have those major questions of him that you see something that didn't work and again puzzling why you made that decision from the start but to, to add that to next season why not say my questions for Xavi is that if the club is saying we have to bring down a Carrasco because you're not going to get a better player for 18 million and we have limited options and we kind of already agreed to it, maybe with Atletico Madrid for some God knows reason, but you bring in Yana Carrasco, who is very redundant in his inability to play a final ball, but just like Balde, he works hard. He can get forward and you understand the, what he does for the horizontal, again, the, the horizontal nature of Barcelona. But I, I mean, Carrasco is just, I mean, I guess he's the backer for Balde if you're getting rid of both Alba and Alonso, but you're not because you've already you're renewed right. Alonso. And if Alba doesn't take that pay reduction, then Alba's and a role. Right. And, then, and now you have Carrasco as a left winger. And even if you get rid of Ansu and Ferran Torres, Yannick Carrasco does not solve your problems. Like he's a good player. And again, I'm not trying to, they get, I, can, I can tell you 10 other teams that Yannick Carrasco would work on terrifically or who need Yannick Carrasco. But it seems like the way this team is constructed that Barcelona don't need Yannick Carrasco. And that is what's so puzzling about the way this team and Xavi is like constructing his team, where it's like, I, I made arguments for why the club is renewing Sergio Roberto. Not, it's, it had nothing to do with the field or talent, but you make the argument. Same thing for Alonso, where you're like, okay, we might as well renew the guy that's sitting right there already for really low money because we can't afford to bring anybody in with FFP. Like, right, well, again, well, you can, I know you're shaking your head, but the point is like, there's a, there's a rationale to why they're, in the boardroom bringing these players back again that has nothing to do with the field right so that's the argument for why yeah. these players are returning but in the same they're regard horrible. they're horrible and so the, the problem is but i'm not judging them on the field point. i'm judging like what is the club why is the club choosing financially to make those decisions and again i have the arguments for why they're choosing to make those decisions based on ffp and some of the other ideas right. they have and that's why they're doing it but my issue is that the players that you are going to bring in meaning the 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 the, the, the slim margin of who is coming incoming and that's the messy argument that Kevin I've had with other people. And I, I don't, you know, I mean, you can say your piece, but I don't want to rehash that whole thing. I've already done it like two or three times the last few weeks, but who can you bring in? There's a slim margin of how you can reinforce the club and stay with FFP with the revenue that you're going to lose with moving, moving stadiums, as you mentioned next season. So it, those players cannot be a Yana Carrasco who is not going to fit a, an absolute need. Like you have to fit absolute needs with the one or two players that they're going to be able to spend what, I mean, at this point, it looks like 35 million total in the transfer market. So if you get two players for, for 35 million total, 
who are those players that fit needs as much as you can? I'm not asking for names, but I'm saying like that is what the club's objective needs to be. And my concern for Xavi right now is like that maybe I missed something with his vision because he's been very clear about what his vision is. And I think when it's working, it makes sense. Like the Spanish Super Cup with his Gala 11, it makes sense with he has the 12 players he trusts and it's all clicking and it's all making sense. But the minute you go 13 through 18 or 13 through 21 with that roster, then Xavi's ideas fall apart because those players are not good enough to execute what he wants. So two, two things have to happen. Either Xavi has to become more flexible and adaptable to the crap he has on the bench and figure out how to make those players work, or the club has to find a bag of money under somewhere, or things have to all work out so that they can actually bring in players that are 13 through 18 that can fulfill Xavi's very high expectations for the team that he wants, again, including that press. So that's not a defense of Xavi as much as it is that the club and Xavi have got to figure out what their vision is together. Because as you mentioned, the concept is, I mean, the, the, the world that Barcelona fans are living in is that Barca's bench stinks because the club has, have, has put themselves in a financial issue with FFP over the course of years, not now, but in the past, so that their bench stinks and their bench might continue to stink. Can Xavi and how can you help Xavi get the most out of those players? And the only question for Xavi is, Xavi, does your system and does your ideas have the flexibility and ability? Because again, this is the inexperience point. Like you say, Xavi isn't right. And my only concern and question is, I, I, this is like the silver lining of the Liga too. If a manager who was ill-equipped and too inexperienced to win games somehow stumbled his way into the Liga, that is optimism for me. Because that means that he's going to gain experience and the Liga might give him the opportunity to gain that experience. Gain that experience. As opposed to saying that he's just never going to be equipped for this job. Because every manager is, is equipped until they lose games. And now they look completely ill-equipped. So I think that what people are forgetting, right, is, oh, you know, Bartomeu killed the team, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, look, Porta, they bought Fernand Torres for almost $60 million. They bought Rafinha for sixty-five. They brought in Lewandowski for 50 knowing uh, that he was going to be one Dembele hamstring pull away from being completely ineffective. It's not like they didn't have opportunities to make the team better in meaningful ways, and they chose a different path. People can say all they want about, oh, so you didn't want to let Torres go. Yeah, they did. Because they had Julian Alvarez. <laughs> yeah, they did. You know, oh, Byron didn't want to let uh, Lewandowski go. Yeah, they did. Because when a, a club wants to keep a player, they keep the player. Here's your money. Here's your playing time. Here's what you have requested from us to stay. Now go to your locker, right? In neither of those cases did that happen. The problem right now is that uh, Barcelona doesn't have anyone who can change a match. When you have the best players on the team sitting on the bench, you know, in various walking casts, right? Pedri, Dembélé, Christensen, and uh, De Jong, you know, who's out there, right? And I just think that the team, the uh, technical staff, has made errors. The team needs a DM, a right back, and a left winger, and that's it. And all this nonsense about bringing Messi back and all those vibes, he's going to be 36 years old. Come on. No, right? Not only that, but then what happens to Gabi's development? And he needs that work. 
Pedri will be fine. He's inked in. Guardiola will be fine. There's now the rumor that the Busquets won't have to hang around now that Messi's coming back. For what? It's just like I think of about many, many years ago, the Washington Redskins were building a team of veterans, and their whole thing was veteran experience and yeah, veteran know how. And we'll be fine. It turns out they were too old to do anything. Barcelona could have more 30 plus if like if Brozovich happens, Martinez happens. Um oh, Inigo Martinez is gonna happen. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. That was good. So that's that's two more 30 plus players. You bring Messi, that's another 30 plus player. And you know, those players, even if they don't start, they're one injury away from starting, which means that suddenly they're decisive and they're decisive in ways that, you know, and people can say, yeah, the club has no money, but they've still made stupid decisions with the money they've had. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I feel like, you know, bringing in Xavi was a mistake. I mean, Xavi needed to be someone's assistant at a big league club somewhere. I don't think he's lost the dressing room. But when you have Rafinha repeatedly doing what he does when he's subbed off, there's something not right there. I th- I mean, I think the the team is an, is an implosion waiting to happen. And it breaks my heart to say that because, I mean, I, as you know, I've been following them since 99. I've been blogging about them since the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been a soci now for 17 years. I mean, this team's in my heart. And it kills me to see all of this happening because it was preventable. There were about five or six points of inflection where, not to you know, like some weird sci-fi film, right, where you know Barcelona could have changed their future. And in every case, they made the wrong decision. And so now they're saying, oh, we're going to rebuild this summer. With who? Cadavers? It, 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 it frustrates me because I feel like the team could be better, but it's not well run, it's not well managed, and mm-hmm. it's not well assembled. And, it's, it, yeah. and I don't know what will happen in the summer, but I have no optimism that the right moves will be made in the summer either. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because even looking forward to next season, you look at the team and you go, okay, it can next season or will likely next season be a retread of what this season was, part two. And will you have the same success, particularly at the back? Because Araujo, I don't think is going to get any worse. He's going to miss 12 games next year, like he misses every year. Kunde, I, I think, will rebound quite fantastically, I think. I think the, what we've seen for the last like two months, in a, is, is the good news is that I've been watching Kunde yeah. since his Bordeaux days. And yeah. this is arguably like, one of the most inconsistent three-month stretches he's had. So I actually have quite a bit of faith that a summer for Kunde getting some rest and then coming back renewed will be very good for him. Christensen the same way that he's, again, been fantastic. And Balde has done, you know, it's funny because I have in my notes here from Hadafe. Balde's worst game, question mark? Yes, Hadafe was the worst game I saw Alejandro Balde play for the first team, which, if anything, actually still fills me with a bit of confidence in him and optimism because... Xavi played him as a left winger next to Alba. So situationally, it was also the worst situation. He was he was set up to fail in that game, which again is a compliment to Balde because Alba comes off, Balde goes back to left back, 
And then the first touch after that, I was like, okay, yeah, it makes, you know what I mean? Like he, he finds himself. He's like, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be. This makes sense. I know where I am because I'm 19 years old and I only know so many places and so many things on the field, even though he did find it right back too. So, you know, I'm very optimistic about, uh, about Balde. And again, so the compliment for, for Barcelona going next season is that, you know, Walter Stegen, again, the, the first six months of this season were as best as you're going to get of him. Still, Ter Stegen showed himself to be a top 10, top five goalkeeper in the world again throughout this season. And then again, you have Araujo, you have Koundé, you have Balde, and you have Christensen. So even if that, yes, I agree. Like I've been yelling about Arnaud Martinez and I'm going to do yeah, it until he's in Atletico Madrid uniform or he's in the Premier League, likely with City because obviously they City group owns Girona. So regardless of where Arnaud Martinez pops yeah. up, I have said that, yes, Barcelona would do wonders to bring in a player like that, especially one who can confidently invert as a pivot. Because, again, the future of Barcelona is not through a, as we said, like a one-for-one, four-three-three defensive midfielder, Ala Busquets, who's going to control a game like that. It's not. It's, it's figuring. I mean, you look at the way Man City took down Bayern Munich. It is having the ability to adapt and to overload that midfield with players who are confident in building up as a pivot, you know, and then how many can do that at that level, the top, top, top level. It's very limited number of players. It, it's it's Kimmich, it's, you know what I mean? Like the number is very low. And, and Barcelona cannot afford none of them. Correct. I mean, you know. So you have to figure out a way around it though. You have to build your system to, again, so having Arna Martinez, a player who's confident to play as a pivot next to Frankie de Young, who is in, if you're still going to play that box four, whoever Xavi decides to set up next season, Messi. having you... Well, right. But having a right back who's able to come in next to Frankie de Young is is op- the optimal point. So it's like, is Frankie de Young in buildup in a 4-3-3, your lone defensive midfielder? Yes. But defensively, he has help from the right back. And then you try to keep things as narrow as possible, right? And he will need because, I mean, because Frankie de Young can't defend me. And so when you think of the idea of him as a DM and you wake up squ- you know, with night sweats because he's just not, he, he's not a good defender. And the well, wait, 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 about- wait. I, I don't know. I, I think he's not a good individual defender. Cause I agree with you. He's not chasing somebody down in space, but I think when you look at his numbers, again, on the press, when Barcelona is pressing and Barcelona is defending on the front foot and Busquets is defending on the front foot and, and the ball retentions are fine because he's reading the game 30 yards from the opponent's goal, as opposed to tracking back 70 yards. Like, De Young is very much a Barcelona player in that he defends well on the front foot in the system. Like his ball recoveries are always good. His interceptions are good. But you're right. In a 1v1 track down individual fight, he's not doing that. So I agree with you. When when Xavi requests De Young to do too much and individually try to man mark, it all falls apart. When Barcelona press as a unit and it all works together, I think De Young is a good system defender, but he's not a good individual defender, which I... So that, that's my only, like, I just want to stand up for Dion a little bit in that way. But um, unless um, um, uh, Barcelona has, you know, 98% possession, they're <laughs> always going to be screwed, right? Because even at 2%, that's three attacks, and that's enough to get a couple of goals because, you know, they, maybe Dagan makes a stop, right? Maybe it bails you out. I don't know. But the fundamental difficulty that um, our Barcelona has is, it's always, well, when everything's perfect, it's wonderful. And everything is perfect for so little of a football match. And the rest of it is adaptations. It's 1v1. It's bailing out teammates. It's all marbles in a bowl. And, you know, none of those, very few of those players out there 
have the ability to solve problems. I will die on the hill that one of the most important players for those great uh, Guardiola teams was Eric Abidal. I see. I, see, I, see, I thought you were going to say Sadu Keita. I wanted to guess, but <laughs> see. No, I mean, because yeah, Abidal solved problems. He solved mm-hmm. problems. He solved problems from sideline to sideline. He could save PK. He could save Puyol. He saved all this. Right. Sideline to sideline. Barcelona don't have a player like that who can solve problems. And modern football is athletic. It's pacey. It's powerful, it's dynamic, and it's technically skilled. And those five things mean that your opponent is going to create major imbalances that you have to solve. And there's one of two ways to solve those those imbalances. Never let them happen, 98% possession, or have, have athletes who can solve um, uh, problems for me. Rather than throwing eighteen million at at Letty uh, for Carrasco, I'd be throwing eighteen million at Nice for uh, Tadebo. Bring him back. You know, you've got a player with pace, with hops, or who can handle the ball, or who can bring the ball forward. Because Lord knows, right now, nobody can. I mean, you've got a, a player who solves. Many problems. He also gives the back line depth. He can also play as a fullback, uh, preferably a right back, because then you have Kunga Arujo as your center backs. It's just like, I mean, it, it frustrates me when I think of all the things the team could do that they won't, mm-hmm. because they'll be too busy, you know, trying to save money by throwing it on, throwing it away on stupid things. I mean, I love Indigo Mark as a defender, not at Barcelona. You know, I think that, you know, Carrasco was good for about 14.2 seconds. Messi, I've discussed at length. I just think it's the wrong move. They're doing everything wrong. And next year, they'll have a roster packed with 30-year-old players. Uh, Lewandowski will be 35. He's already showing signs right now of why... Byron let him go. Well, I mean, I think that's the idea, right? For the transfers, like if you're going to bring in a 30 year old, you have to basically make sure you're get, getting rid of a 30 year old. It doesn't sound like that's happening. Because, like, for the example of like Gundigan, where it's like Gundigan, I, I think, you know, even at 33, what he still does at a very, very high level, I think is partly what Barcelona needs. Like, he can help them control a game, and they just don't have players to do that competently. And he's a player that still does that at a very high level. So to me, bringing him in, you it, it's going to be a three-year deal. I you'd hope, hope, but likely he'd sign a five-year deal, right? Like, right? Like you, he wouldn't sign anything less than four-year. But like in theory, that's only a two-year deal because he's a bridge to something else. But that means that someone has to see the door, right? And none of those thirty-year-olds are likely going to see the door. So then, no. then, 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 don't bring in Gundogan, right? But Gundogan does solve problems, and I think that's again one of the natures of Barcelona. Now. Last thing to do in the show here is quickly Laporte's press conference. And I say quickly here because I know where you stand on this. And so I'm kind of going to set the table for you. And then you can, I, whatever you have to add, you can add. But I know I'm going to upset a lot of Kool-Aid's here or some Kool-Aid's. But I don't think we learned a single thing from that press conference. But I also don't think that's a bad thing. Like, I'm not being critical of Laporte when I say that. I'm saying that we knew what Barcelona's defense is when it comes to Laporte. The news that the prosecutor's office was having trouble 
putting together substantial evidence based on said reports, that information coming out a few weeks ago, that to me was 10 times more necessary or influential to how this case would be viewed in the public opinion more than let's report to press conference. And if I was a Porta, I would literally just have said that. That the prosecutor's evidence, which he did, but I'm saying that's all I would have said. Like the prosecutor's office is having trouble compiling enough evidence. Like, like I, I would have just gone into the legalese of it. Like he's, again, he's like, he, he's, a, he's a lawyer. Like for Laporta is a lawyer. Like as far as like going about it that way. And I would have presented like that. I would have bored, I would have bored the people, the socios and the reporters. I would have bored them to death with the legalese of it because it's true. Like when, when I broke down with my Patreon, Mike Cribbins, and we did, I did a whole YouTube video for 20 minutes. I did the 55 minute, like, again, the legal case of this argument was that Barcelona as an entity, they had to prove that there was intent of the crime of sports corruption. And it seems like at this point with the reports, the way that they are, and I know that he went and he, he put them up like that, but it's, it seems to be that, Barcelona, whether there was some kind of negligence to it that we can get into, but it continues to be the Barcelona's very reasonable and justified position is that, especially again, when you when you remember the nature of the wrongdoing or any wrongdoing on Barcelona's part does have to come from intent. And again, it's not looking like that is the case. It looks like Barcelona had 14 years of stupidity. And more impressively, the previous board from 2014 to 2018, which is where, which is what is, you know, what is, what is being litigated that period under scrutiny again there was as we know abject stupidity and ignorance at the club so i i think the the biggest issue to me with the Porta's press conference was i think talking about real madrid or talking about this case through the lens of victimhood with like through the lens of real madrid's you know power in the liga i think is the biggest misstep because you know again it is looking like there will not be enough evidence to prove that barcelona the entity committed the crime of sports punishment and that's all as a Kool-Aid I wanted to hear from that press conference because that's all I needed to hear because if Barcelona, the entity are, are considered, you know, not guilty of the crime of sports punishment, then that's all we need to know. Like, and, and I understand the desire that Laporta has to want to change public perception or at least give confidence to socios that Barcelona are fighting back against those who damage their reputation. But I think at this moment, you allow the legal system and you allow the prosecutor's office to do that heavy lifting for you. As I said, like when the prosecutor's office revealed that the evidence that they were trying to compile in those reports was not enough. And they're like, why did this idiot club spend seven million plus on these reports? These aren't worth seven million. Like that is actually Barcelona's argument. Like this is one of those bars. Like there was a there's a great story I heard about an NFL player about an NFL player who was like he in practice he kept hurting a teammate, and the teammate was like, "You got to stop hurting me, man!" Like either you're like the meanest, worst teammate I have, or you're just plain stupid. And he responds, "I'm I'm just plain stupid." And at this point, like that's actually the Barcelona argument because that is what it is. It's like we were I mean we were ignorant, we were negligent, and these reports didn't help as much as we wanted them to. But over the course of 14 years, we spent seven million, which does only equal like. 400,000 every whatever, which again is only 1.3 more than what other clubs are spending over the same amount of time, right? So there is like precedent of like, you have to learn about what were other clubs spending? Who were the other clubs getting work from? Like, again, Negrera himself, sure, but Negrera's son was connected to a ton of other clubs and reports and things like this. Like he had worked for the Liga. Like there, <laughs> you have to understand the case, learn the case. But again, I think Laporta kind of gave an out to all those naysayers by talking about Tebas by talking about Real Madrid. Again, just say, look at what the prosecutor's office is reporting, or what reports coming from the prosecutor's office. Look at the lack of substantial evidence that is coming forward at this point. Like again, because like Mike Crimmins and I said it, the prosecutor's office wouldn't bring wouldn't bring this case 
to or try to even bring this case, especially to trial, but to try to have this case public if they did not have substantial evidence. Like it does not make sense legally for the prosecutor's office to do that. However, it seems like the prosecutor's office, just like everything else, it seems like in the Spanish court system, <laughs> does, does, does things willy nilly and doesn't know what they're doing either. So like, it's totally fair for me to be like, well, the prosecutor's office didn't know what they were doing either. And no one knew anything and no one knows anything. There's this world where a hundred wrongs don't make a right. Prosecutor's office seems like a little ignorant, doesn't know what they're doing. Tebas, I, I mean, it's absolutely just shooting himself in the face. <laughs> Irrespective of Barcelona, just shooting himself and the Liga in the face over and over and over again, irrespective of the issues that Barcelona have had, because Barcelona, again, got themselves into this mess in, in, in part by, again, years of mismanagement through the Bartomeu regime, as, I mean, dating all the way back to, to Nunez. I mean, you, you want some history. Look at the fight between Alexanco and who was at the time the president in... Yeah, it was Nunez, right? What, what, I'm, I'm like, my, my brain's fried. Yeah, it was anyway, 1988. They had, there was an issue. I mean, it's what led to Bern Schuster leaving. And it dated all the way back to what I had referenced a few weeks ago with Keeney getting kidnapped. Like there was mismanagement all throughout the 80s as well. Like Barcelona has a way of attracting this kind of drama, attracting this kind of news. That's what you sign up for when you're Kool-Aid. But Barcelona always kind of does come out on the other side of it. Not to say untouched, but they're fine. Like that, that's what it is. So just look, look at what is actually coming out of this court case and the legal parts of it, because that is what's good news for Barcelona. And that's all uh, the optimist should take from Laporte's press conference, because the rest of it is just, is just filler. And I know, Kevin, you're going to respond to the filler. <laughs> so Laporte is not a good president and he's, I don't know how good of a lawyer he is, but judging from the evidence of what we've seen of him at podiums. Look, I mean, Laporta is a politician and he's a dancer. Turn the lights on, he starts shimmying. Whether he should or not is... So the club can't say we were stupid. For 17 years, we were stupid, right? Of course, of course. We, You know, we got what's lying in Malcolm X and we got hoodwinked. We got bamboozled, right? You, you know, the club can't say that. So what do you say, right? And you turn it, you turn it into... You turn it into victimhood. You turn it into they're trying to sully our shimmering white samite. And that is all to distract you from the very clear evidence of these people were morons. And for 17 years, over many administrations, they were morons. And while the Bartomeu regime, you know, wrote the book on being morons, you know, the, the next excellent president that FC Barcelona has will be the first one, right? Um, look, Porta did exactly what people who know him knew he was going to do. Wrap himself you know, in patriotism, wrap himself in, oh, they're, they're attacking our, our beloved institution. They're trying to sully us. They're trying to bring us down. As you know, they're not doing anything thing of the sort. The only hope this case had was public opinion. Right? That was the only hope this case had because anybody who look, looked at it, even the most perfunctory manner, was like, there's nothing here except a club being you know, taken by people promising them something nebulous that was of no value. Mm -hmm. You don't need a consultant to tell you X or Y official is a jackass. You don't need that. So what are you paying for? So I think that Laporta's press conference 
was a major success right, in the sense that it got people talking about him. It got more gullible um, supporters to say, yeah, right, they're messing with our club. Um, but it was also a mess in that it had him doing this song and dance to hide the fact that he and everybody else were for 17 years morons. And yes, in the overall scheme of things, 400K a year or whatever, how much it was per year is no money. But what it represents is just this un just stupendous stupidity. And nobody at the, the club wants to say, you know what? We were stupid. And to me, if he is the transparent, fully honest, above board president that he, you know, walked in claiming to be, right? Let's not I forget. He walked in talking about transparency and accountability, blah, 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 right? If he's that guy, he walks up to that podium and says, you know, I've looked at these reports. I've looked at 17 years worth of what we got for our money. And you know what? We got hoodwinked. We got bamboozled. We got taken for a ride. Yeah. And I feel bad about that. And it wasn't much of your money, right? You, the members who ostensibly own this club, but we got taken. And I'm bummed about that. We didn't do anything wrong, which the uh, prosecutor's lack of evidence cites, but uh, there is evidence that we were stupid mm -hmm. and we feel bad about it. Thank you. Any questions? It's the press conference, right? You know, it's not this like nail me to a uh, um, senyera cross, you know, oh God, they're coming at Barcelona. That's wrong. But that worked to the people it would work for, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, the right thing he was never going to do, which is thinking, we feel bad about it. Sorry. Never going to happen. Should have happened? Yes. Never going to happen because that's not how he is. And that's not what he need. That's not what the people who love him need him to be. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's, it's interesting because, like, the identity of the club. You know, the, the, the flip that I've obviously has happened in the court of public opinion, if you will. And I, I don't, we can have a research paper on how social media has changed these things too, both in Catalonia and then internationally as well. And so like the victimhood of the Porta is, is tying into is at the very identity, the nature of the club. Like the club was a victim of, I mean, uh, just awful oppression, like the club itself and the people who were associated with that club. I mean, they, you, you read about we'll say one of the great presidents that Barcelona did have in Juan Camper and his life ended because of said oppression. And, and so you look historically, I mean, the, I mean, Barcelona had a president, uh, Sunyol in 1935 assassinated for being connected yeah. to Barcelona. Like there was oppression throughout their history. Again, even, even the lack of consideration, as I was researching the Keeney kidnapping, the lack of consideration that the Madrid government at the time, again, this is in the post-Franco regime even, but the lack of help and the incompetence of the policia at the time, the the, the federal troops, as opposed to just like the Catalan police uh, policia, the lack of federal considerations that a Barcelona player, like a, a La Liga player, like a goal scorer, like the Pichichi winner <laughs> was kidnapped for almost a month. And the lack of care and consideration from the federal government at that time, again, this is in the 80s post-Franco. Where there is just there is there's there's a clear there are clear representations of oppression throughout Barcelona's history. Yes, unfortunately, once Pep Guardiola won six trophies in one season in the in the court of public opinion, that all flipped, 
And so I always have a hard time with this, Kevin, because it's like, it's like, I'm almost, I, I almost come, I find myself like, like a dog, like chasing its tail where I go, I know, I know, because you know, the same thing. I know the history of the club that I support. So I know that oppression is in its very identity and that is true and that is real. But it, there is frustration for me when the club cries for oppression when in the instances where there is none. And I, I have a hard time with cases like this because, because Laporte is correct about something. And that is that Barcelona and we are, and I think, I think clubs in Spain of what I see are all kind of culpable of this in some way that they don't really understand yet how to deal with heavy, like public scrutiny, uh, scrutiny, not even from their own supporters, but just like from a, from a national regard. Like it was like how Real Betis under Pellegrini a few years ago were just tremendous but then they kind of flew close to the too close to the sun, right? And they were putting the Champions League. And then the minute they started to be scrutinized, they went on a run of like awful form because they just like seemed to crumble the minute they were like a good team who was struggling, as opposed to just being a team that was just making everybody happy by exceeding expectations, right? And it seems like a lot of Spanish clubs do that um, because the it's true. Like the press in Spain is full of misinformation. It's just it's absolute nonsense. And like it is it is the case even you know you and I on, on social media where you have to go. Wait a second. Was that Diario? Was that Sport? Was that Mondo Divi? Like, you have to make sure you're sourcing it. And again, you and I are both American-born, so it's also like, it, for me, being in the U.S., that's just a big part of just my daily life. But if you're living in places that will say have an actual, like, truthful and free press where you can go to places that you trust, and I think globally we have our own issues, and that's a again a totally different thing for another hour of a podcast. But if you know where you're going and you know you know, or at least where you know where to trust to find the messages that you're looking for, then you can find your your corner of the sky. But by and large, I think a lot of a lot of the top teams in world football can no longer cry for victimhood. However, again, Barcelona, I think financially, or not even financially, I mean, so the thing that Laporta again, (laughs) to kind of take what he said and kind of take it down a little bit, where his whole thing about financially, Barcelona going to get what's coming to them because of those that have slandered their name. What is true is that Barcelona potentially did lose revenue because of this court case going to the lengths that it did if there was no substantial evidence. And like legally, that is a case that Barcelona has, but that is not a case that has fully been put together just yet. And I think that is the other issue that, I mean, again, as I had mentioned, my frustration with that Negrera case was it took me a week to go through it. It took me a week to talk to three different lawyers, an American lawyers who I who I asked out of the kindness of their hearts to look at Spanish law <laughs> to try to help me figure this out and get to the bottom of what is like actually happening in this case. It took me a week to do that. But three days is all it took for social media to decide who was guilty, who was right. And it had already the port of Cup One day. One, one day. day. Right. Well, yeah, one day. I mean, one so it, it took one day for it to be already decided that this whole thing was over. But these things take a lot of time. And it's just, I feel, a part of me does feel like Laporta, I would, I, I know everyone's like, oh, he needs to speak. But we already know what Barcelona didn't do wrong. And just, just keep that in your mind. Like, that's okay. Like, they're not going to be convicted of a crime of sports punishment because, agreed, like those reports are nothing. So for Laporta, I actually, I, I just wish he kind of hadn't said anything. Because I think that actually, like, because the defense is already set out for Barcelona. So just if the, if they decide you're guilty in one day, they can also decide or choose to decide you're not guilty in one day too. 
Because the people who are going to believe that Barca aren't guilty will believe that. And those who want Barcelona to be guilty will always believe that Barcelona will be guilty. It takes them an hour to decide that without any information whatsoever. So as much as like, I know it's tough to say, but that's a cool way. Just let it roll off. Like the best times of Barcelona's history is when they took that criticism and took that garbage and just let it roll off and care about your own business. That's never going to happen. I mean, look, I, you know, when this was all bubbling up and people were saying, oh, you know, the big, big Barca accounts are being quiet about this. Why are they being quiet? And I said, well, I'm not a very big Barca account, but for me as a journalist, I don't see anything that warrants this kind of scrutiny. It seems to me they paid someone for something this person could not have possibly delivered for 17 years. And so... While I think that makes them a bunch of morons, I don't think it is in any way illegal. I think it is certainly, you could say it reeks of a conflict of interest, but Spanish football, you could... It's a conflict of interest. Yes, everybody is. Catalonian, you know, conflict of interest, right? So for me, I was like, there's this seems like a nothing burger to me. And as you know, people who want the club to be guilty of something they'll be guilty. People who want to support, love, and uh, defend the club, and it's those people who Big Jean did his dog and pony show for today. Those people say, oh yeah, right, our our president has stormed the ramparts. Our president is fighting for the club. So that's why I say that press conference was a success, uh, but also an abject failure at the same time. And you know, in many ways, that's look Porto, right? He is the guy who, hey, yeah, we lost, but let's have cop, right? I mean, he is just, he's the right president for the club right now. Yep, I agree. Um, you know, I don't think, I mean, as as much as I liked Font and would have voted for him, I, mean, I don't know that he would have been the right president for all this crap, you know? Then yeah, again, yeah, maybe... I think you and I mentioned yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Barcelona needed a cult of personality and they got it in Laporta yes. for, yeah. for all of his flaws and, and issues. And I think you're right. Like, I think the next president is the president that they would want to, um, you know, kind of not say there, there are no ashes to rise out, out of, but to bring a stability and a consistency <laughs> that actually you would, run the club. Yeah. So you would actually, actually be run the club. But but I think but I, I agree. I like I, I think Laporta was a cult of personality this team has. Because he, again, in those assemblies, he makes the, hey, we have to play him on week for a year so that we can, you know, redo the Camp No and here's all the numbers. Like, a president without a cult of personality is not going to be able to get that over the line, even even if it's the right choice. Because, again, like, just look at the numbers, the revenue that will be, that like, Barcelona does fill up the gate. Like, that's what they do. Like, 85,000 people come to Barcelona and Torres and whatever. Like, the numbers say that Barcelona at the gate can be a very successful and will be a very successful club no matter what. Again, number one in Europe in attendance right now. Not so they just, don't suck. Well, but even, but even when they did, it was still 38,000, 45,000 on the regular. And so, right. So they just have to <laughs> just be confident on the field and 80,000 people will show up, which again is a, a, I think, a privilege that a lot of clubs don't, I mean, almost no clubs have. So like they won the Liga behind 85,000 people. Now they're going to redo the stadium. It's going to take a little knock. And you just have to make sure you can basically survive and do what Xavi's teams do best and suffer next season long enough where you're successful enough the following year 
to return to the club. I mean, to return to the Camp Nou with 105,000 people, people. Um, or 100,000 people week in and week out, hopefully. And then, you know, and then do your winning on the back of, you know, all that glory and success. <laughs> the last thing I'll say is that there is this path forward of optimism for Barcelona, but they are walking and continue to walk this tightrope. And we, like, the reason why when Messi left and everything with Bartomeu, it was so cataclysmic for the club, for supporters. Like, there are so many supporters that left and did not come back because the tightrope that Barcelona, like, I knew it that Ooh, day. That I remember day. saying to my wife, should I keep doing the pie? Should I keep doing everything? Because I felt like this means that, again, I'm talking about, like, the Bartomeu time. This means that the club is going to be walking a tightrope, financial tightrope, and a, a tightrope in terms of even results from day to day. That's why I'm you and I are talking about Adafe as if the as if the Camp Nou is closing up. Just because every result on this tightrope feels like Xavi isn't the right guy or the club is financially only going to spend, you know, is going to spend on the wrong guys yeah. and they're not going to win any trophies next season. And it's just like the it's so close for Barcelona to fall off that tightrope and I just feel like it's one step after another and it's tough cuz we have to litigate every single decision along the way, which again, like Munch Week stinks for revenue and means that Barcelona have got to get those transfers, those those one or two transfers absolutely correct. But then again, they won't. <laughs> right. All right. We won't well, feel I, they I think, won't. All right. Well, yeah, I know. That's why I'm talking about that's why I, I just hope they listen to me sometimes. That's why I talk about Ana Martinez every chance I get. I wake up, I eat my banana, I share it to I share it with my puppy and I say, what do you think about Ana Martinez, Colby? And Colby goes, well, I love banana, but Ana Martinez sounds pretty nice too. And I just, I'm going to keep doing it until he's playing Atletico Madrid, sure. But all right. Anyway, Kevin, a pleasure as always. We managed to go over an hour again, uh, as expected. No five headlines. So at least we gave something, uh, Kool-Aid's out there, something to, to enjoy and listen to. But yeah, in retirement, I guess not much to plug other than your Twitter, right? No, yeah, I'm I'm just um, uh, chilling out, learning Portuguese, um, riding my bike, playing in the sun, and having a good life. It's awesome. It is awesome. So that that's what well, I wish the same thing for all Kool Aids out there. Now, I mean, hopefully you retire as soon as Kevin got through. But anyway, so we're on Twitter and Instagram as well. Well, Kevin is on Twitter. Follow him down in the shows below. And then we're with TikTok as well. Post it to group, Patreon, merch store. You know where to find us. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do. Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.